Good morning, folks. How y'all doing this morning? What a beautiful day. Got an extra hour. The Lord's already blessed us. Well, I don't know if the Lord did, but we've been blessed with an extra hour. Nobody said that this morning when we counted our blessings that we got an extra hour of sleep. Amen? Some of us probably never noticed. But anyway, if you got your Bible, we're back in the book of Revelations. I want to invite you to turn with me. We're on the fourth church this morning, the church of Thyatira which is called by most people who study and do commentary on these letters in the Bible, they call the corrupted church. And As we've been looking, we've been preaching the series out on the revelation of the seven letters that Jesus gave to the churches. And um, just a quick remember that he told John to write down. Jesus himself gave these letters. And you know, as we look at these letters and we read, we see that each church though it was at a different time, is still very, very relevant into the times we live, very applicable to us, and that's what they were given to us for, to apply to the church today. This is a picture of where they were, these actual churches, who we all have been looking at and realized today are churches that represent the whole church until the coming of Jesus. And this morning, as we begin to look, we've looked at the church of Ephesus, which we've seen was the church that lost its love. It was a loveless church. The church of Smyrna, the only church so far that Jesus commended and that he didn't have a, 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 a criticism for, was that persecuted church that was being persecuted for their faith and for Jesus. Then you see the church of Pergamos that was beginning to compromise truth, beginning to compromise the lordship of Christ. Today you're going to see the progression at the church of Thyatira, the corrupted church. And if you read it with me this morning, we'll read together, starting in verse 18. Jesus said, And to the angel of the church in Thyatira write, These things says the Son of God, who has eyes like a flame of fire and his feet like fine brass. I know your works, love, service, faith, and your patience. And as for your works, the last are more than the first. Nevertheless, I have a few things against you because you allow that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess to teach and seduce my servants to commit sexual immorality and eat things sacrificed to idols. And I gave her time to repent of her sexual immorality and she did not repent. Indeed, I will cast her into a sickbed and those who commit adultery with her into great tribulation unless they repent of their deeds. I will kill her children with death and all the churches shall know that I am he who searches the minds and the hearts and I will give to each one according to your works. Now to you, I say, and to the rest in Thyatira, as many as do not have this doctrine who have not known the depths of Satan, as they say, I will put on you no other burden, but hold fast what you have till I come, and he who overcomes and keeps my works until the end, to him I will give power over the nations. He shall rule them with the rod of iron. They shall be dashed to pieces like the potter's vessel, and I also will have received from my Father, and I will give him the morning star. He who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Father, today we pray as we continue to study that you'll continue to show us what you have us to know, to hear, and you'd grant us the ability to 
respond and through repentance if we need to. In Jesus' name, amen. The letters of these seven churches reveal a very important truth. If you look, this is an overwhelming truth, everyone. Jesus is the judge of his church. That's what he's doing. He's evaluating each church and he's giving out a judgment. Look at what he says in the beginning of this thing. These things says the Son of God who has eyes like a flaming fire. Fire is always in the Bible associated with judgment. That flaming fire is not talking about eyes with passion for the church, though he has passion, but he's referring to his ability as the Son of God, the all-seeing, the all-knowing. God himself has eyes like a flaming fire that are looking at the churches. If you look down with me, look at verse 23 and kind of forget the first part, but he says, I will kill her children with death and all the churches shall know that I am he. And look at what he says he does. He searches the minds and hearts and I will give to each one according to your works. If there's something that the churches have done throughout history, especially in the days in which we live, is that we have belittled, we have downplayed, and we have not realized and accepted the awful influence that sin has in a Christian's life, much less a lost person. Friends, sin in the church destroys the church. Look at what the Bible says. Jesus is the judge of the church. He's not judging us to condemn us. He's judging us to help us. He's judging us so that he can cleanse us, so that he can restore us to the relationship that we have as his church, the bride to the groom. And look at what Peter said. For the time has come for judgment to begin in the house of God. If judgment begins in the church, he says, and it begins with us first, what will be the end of those who do not obey the gospel? So he's saying, judgment begins with those who have believed the gospel. And friends, listen, just because we're saved, yes, we're not going to be judged for the condemnation of our sin. Jesus did that on the cross. But we're going to be judged for our works and how we live our life. And sin has an awful impact and a devastating influence in the life of a believer, a person, in the life of a family, a household, in the life of a church, a fellowship of believers, and a community, and so on to a country. And what we see happen in our country today is a result of the influence of people who have not taken sin seriously. And we live in a time today, we're going to see where we are compromised to the point I believe that many of us have become corrupted just like this church. It starts out with losing your first love, the love for Jesus, just like the church of Ephesus. And if you love Jesus enough to stand up for Jesus and to proclaim His truth and His Lordship, and live out His righteousness, persecution comes. And when that persecution comes, the temptation to compromise comes. We've seen that's what happened. They were compromising to alleviate themselves, to get away from the persecution that was coming from Rome and the Jewish non-believers. And so they compromised the truth. They compromised the Lordship of Christ. They compromised His Word. And now you see a church here. That now it's not just a few in the church compromising. The whole church has been corrupted and it's only a few who are not compromising and corrupted. Sin is like a cancer. Once you compromise, it spreads. 
It's like a sick fish in an aquarium. It only takes one sick fish to pollute the whole aquarium. And guys, listen, that's what Jesus is warning us about. Thank God Jesus loves us like we sang. But I want you to look at this. In each church, Jesus gives a commendation. We've seen the pattern. If you take notes, this is a wonderful outline to the seven churches. Only two of the churches didn't get a criticism. The church that was being persecuted and the church we're going to look at, the second to last church, the Church of Philadelphia, which we call the faithful church. Friends, if you're not being faithful to Christ, even to the point of suffering persecution if need be, you're going to get a criticism probably. Listen, he gave a word of approval. He gave a criticism, a word of accusation. He accused them of what was wrong. Jesus is brutally truthful and accurate in his evaluation of a person. He is not only concerned with your feelings, he's concerned with your faithfulness. He's not only concerned with our comfort, thank God he is, but he's even more concerned with our character. And that's what he's doing with these seven judgments, these seven evaluations of these churches. And then he gives you a correction. I thank God. He commends me for what I'm doing right. He corrects me. I mean, he criticizes me. He, he, he accuses me and shows me what I'm doing wrong. But then he corrects me and he gives me a word of admonishment to make it right, to fix it. That's what Jesus does. And friends, I want you to think about this. The commendation. This church who's got this Jezebel teaching and seducing God's children to not only say it's okay, but to participate and practice sexual immorality and idolatry. He still sees the good in the church. The church was a good church. Listen to what he says to them. I know your works. I know your works. Look at the first thing he says about them. Love. They was a loving church. They had love there. You have service, faith, and patience. He, he, he says, and listen to this. This is unbelievable. But your works today are more than your last. Your works are increasing. You have more good works today than you had when you started as a church. I don't know about y'all, but that's an unbelievable thing to think today that Jesus will look at Bethany and says your works are increasing and they're more prevalent today than when you first became a church. And look at what he says about them. He says you have works. This fellowship had hard workers that were known for their actions, not just their beliefs. They served the Lord. They were working. They were out there doing the work of ministry. They were active. When you went there, they had children's ministry. They would have had adult ministry. They were, had women's ministry. They were ministering to everybody that they could in the name of Jesus. Why? Because he says they had faith. He says you had love works. You have love. They had love for people. That's why they were serving people. Look at what else he says about them. He says that their faith, their deeds, and their love were motivated by their faith for Christ, not themselves or the people. And then finally, service. The church was involved in ministry and serving other people because they love people. And he says they had patience and endurance and steadfastness. That's what he's meaning. That word patience means that they were long-suffering and enduring in their willingness to serve the Lord. This was not a church that was just sitting on the pew. But yet, Jesus still looked at with all the good things he could commend. This one thing that they were doing was so bad when it looks like they ought to get an A plus on the exam, they get an F and fail. Because listen what he says. 
They had a lot of love, but they had abandoned truth. They were serving people because they loved people. They were doing things and they were had faith, believe. But guys, I want you to look at this with me. You got to use your Bible. That's why you need a Bible. But when you look at what Jesus says to the church of Thyatira, when he says in verse 19, I know your works, the first thing he says is, you have love. When you look at the church in Ephesus, look at it with me over in chapter 2, verse 2. He says, I know your works. You're laboring for me. You're patient for me. The same thing they were doing. But look at the first thing he recognizes with them. He says, you cannot bear those who are evil, and you have tested those who say they are apostles and are not, and have found them liars. He said, they got a lot of truth, but you don't have no love. Ephesus had lost their love, but boy, they were calling people out for truth. But then you look at this church, they got a whole lot of love, but they letting Jezebel teach ungodly doctrine and seduce people into ungodly behavior, and the church is approving of it and allowing it. You see, guys, when you walk with Jesus, there's a balance between truth and love. you got to preach the truth. you got to stand on the truth. And we all personally have makeups in who we are and our personality that you're naturally going to lean one or the other. My natural tendency, because of how God made me, is I lean on the truth. I'm a prophet. Man, it's black and white. That's what the Word says. This is what Jesus said. Other people lean on love. But, but that's so hard. And truth is hard. And so if you always lean on love and you neglect love and you don't have truth and you lean on, I mean, you lean to truth without love, you become legalistic. And you enter into what we call legalism, which begins to condemn people. You ever met them? They're Pharisees. They're in the church. They can tell you what's wrong with everybody. They're always showing you the error of everybody's ways. They're law keepers. But they don't have love. But guys, if you got all love to the point you neglect the truth, you become a liberal. And you enter into lasciviousness, which is license to break the law. And you believe grace allows you to do anything. And indulgence comes into that type of church. Friends, listen, there's a balance. you got to stand on the truth in love, and preach Jesus. If you neglect the truth to the point you compromise it so that you can stay in love with someone, you don't really love that person. If you will compromise what the Bible says is truth so that you can get along with other people, then you don't really love those people. You're more concerned about what you and how they think of you than what God's going to think of them if they die living outside the truth that you know. Now friends, I want you to think about this. Thyatira was strong on love. That Jesus, the first thing He said is, you got love. You serve people. And you got patience and you endure for My name and you're doing it because of Me. But they were not willing to disagree with anyone about doctrinal truth. Sound familiar? Well, if you preach that, people's going to think you don't love them. People's going to think you're intolerant. If you stand on the truth of God's Word today, you'll be called a bigot. You'll be called a racist. You'll be called intolerant and unloving, I promise you. By not God, but by the American culture and society that we live in today. Because they believe in what they want to say is truth 
is equal to what God says is true. And friends, regardless of what society has swallowed and believed, truth is not relevant. There is an absolute truth that does not change with the culture and the times. And friends, I want you to think about this. The criticism, the word of accusation that Jesus brought to them is even though you're doing all this thing, you're loving people, you're serving people, you're, you're keeping the faith in my name and that's why they think you're doing it and that's why you are doing it. But nevertheless, I have a few things against you. Because you allow that woman Jezebel. That wasn't her name. That was to show you her spirit. Jezebel's the worst woman in the Bible. Have you ever heard of anyone that would name their daughter Jezebel? Oh, look at my pretty new baby. She looks like a Jezebel. No one would name their... That lady's name wasn't Jezebel. Jesus says that's what she is. That's what she teaches. You remember what Jezebel was? King Ahab, a king of God, a king of Israel, one of the most wicked kings, married the most wicked person he could find, Jezebel. And as soon as he married her, she influenced him and taught him to be immoral and to be an idolater. And he was one of the most idolatrous kings in the Old Testament Bible. At the end of his reign, it says that he'd done wickedly in the sight of the Lord and that he was provoked by his wife Jezebel to do it. This woman in the church is provoking people. She's teaching people. Look at what he says there. Because you allow this woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess. Jesus didn't say she is a prophetess. He said she says she is. But look at what he says. To teach and seduce my servants to commit sexual immorality and eat things sacrificed to idols. Last week we're looking at the compromising church and there's a few people teaching it. Now everyone's doing it. And it's spreading. And guys, I want you to look at this. Today, these are words that you hear. Tolerance. Acceptance. Don't be so closed-minded as those old Christians. You need to be open-minded. You need to get along with the times. What Jesus was doing is His thing that He said, nevertheless, I have this against you. Jesus accused the church of Thyatira of tolerating Jezebel and her teachings and her ungodly way of life. Why was Jezebel doing that? Because to get along with the Romans, you had to participate in their idolatrous worship. To participate in their idolatrous worship, you had to eat the things sacrificed to their idols, which defiled you as a Christian. It ruined your witness. And you had to also, to practice their religious rituals, participate in bad sexual immorality things. And she was saying, look, if we'll do this, Rome will leave us alone. Have you noticed? The church that lost its love was the first church. The next church was being persecuted for Jesus because they were standing on truth. They wouldn't bow the knee to Caesar. They would not worship him, Caesar, as Lord. They said, Jesus is Lord. The next church, Pergamos, their pastor Antipas has been martyred because he would not give in. He suffered persecution for the cause of Christ. But this church, because it's corrupted, it's no different than the Romans, there's no persecution here. They're not getting suffering for who they are. The church in America today, in many places and in many buildings, 
would rather be at peace with society and this godless, hellbound culture than to sit here and suffer for the righteousness of Christ. And they compromise, just what we talked about last week. And once you compromise, corruptness is coming. Because once you corrupt, the only thing that keeps us from being corrupted is the truth. And once we compromise the truth, guys, I want you to think about this. Jesus called them out for allowing, for tolerating this ungodly teaching in this church. Now, guys, my question today is what would cause a church to tolerate what God has said is wicked? And anyone who knows the Bible even a little bit, you don't have to be a theologian. You don't have to go to Sunday school a year to learn that sexual morality is wicked. It's an abomination to God. You don't have to learn that idolatry and participating in any type of idolatry worship that is making something else get worship and glory besides God is wrong. But what would cause a church to tolerate what God has said is wicked? I'm going to give you some things that I believe I've seen happening here and I believe they're applicable today. Number one reason a church compromises to the point that it gets corrupted is a desire to fit in with the culture around it. If you're going to stand on Jesus is the only way, the only truth, and the life, and no one can come to the Holy Father but through Him, and there are not alternate ways to God, Yes, it's closed-minded. It's so closed-minded that Jesus said, I'm not one of ways. I'm the only way. You're going to get persecuted. If you're going to say that this Bible is the one and only absolute truth that no other truth on earth has higher authority than thus saith the Lord, you're going to get persecuted. You're not going to get a like. The culture today has multiple truths that they say have equal authority to God's Word or higher authority. The culture today hates the authority of the Word of God because it points out the error of what they believe is true and shows them that they're surrendering and submitting to a lie. So guys, listen, how does that happen? Well, there's something I want to teach you about this morning. We now live in a culture that has embraced and accepted a belief system that's called postmodernism. How many of you said, what the heck is that? How many of you ever heard of postmodernism? Well, you need to get your Google or your dictionary and you need to study up on this. I'm going to give you a, a quick Marvin version of what postmodernism is. Postmodernism is a belief system. We got a belief system. It's called the Bible. We have a biblical worldview because this is the foundation of our belief system. Amen? So we have a worldview. That is biblical. Now, postmodernism is a belief system that teaches you can't really know anything for sure because truth is relevant. Truth is changing. Truth is not eternal. Because truth is relevant, which means it can change, that teaches you you can't really know anything for sure because truth is relevant. There is no absolute right and wrong. Now, guys, they teach this in every major college in the land. In philosophy class, you send your child to a major college, they're going to be taught postmodernism. They're going to be taught that there is no absolute truth. That one person in one group cannot have all truth. Listen to this. Because truth is relevant, there's no absolute right and wrong. So whatever you believe to be true is true to you as long as you choose to believe it's true. 
So you can believe anything you want as long as you're sincere. That's equal truth to what God says is true. That's what America has fallen for. That's what you see people arguing and fighting over. Now listen, this is even gets more bizarre. Postmodernism evolves to the point that if your truth does not allow this other group's truth to believe what they choose to believe, and you disagree with them, you become a racist or a bigot, or you're intolerant, you're not loving, especially if your truth condemns their truth. That's wrong. And friends, the amazing thing is the person that's teaching postmodernism that truth is relevant, there is no absolute truth, that truth is changing, is the most intolerant to our truth. What they say our truth takes from them, they're not willing to give to us. So truth becomes whatever you make it to be. Let me give you an example. I know I was biologically born as a girl or a boy, but my truth is that I'm not a boy. I'm a girl. Now, if I got up here next week and told y'all that the truth had been revealed, and all these years I've been suppressing the truth, but I'm now a girl. My name is now Marveline. I'm no longer Brother Marvin. I'm Sister Marvin. Well, the people who f- support all this post now, them truth is whatever they want to say. Go to the science. Support the science. Follow the science. That's the buzzword in their culture. Well, if you follow the science, if you was born a boy, you're going to die a boy. If you was born a girl, you're going to die a girl. Because biology proves you're a girl but that's not true to them but then when it's not convenient for them it don't matter what science says life doesn't start at conception well that's what the science teaches you see their truth is not true because it's forever changing it's relevant to whatever they need it to be to get what they want but God's truth never changes because it's not based on what we want it's on what he has said And it will never change. And when you leave His truth, you enter into an unstable world and your belief system will never hold up. Because there is an absolute truth. And I believe He's personified in the Lord Jesus Christ. And all truth comes from Him, by Him, and His Word is where you find out truth to live by. Truth to die with. Truth to have hope for all of eternity. But guys, listen, today that truth is being destroyed by postmodern world who believes that truth is not absolute. This is the next one. A failure to rightly divine sin. Whenever you succumb to truth can change. That truth is relevant. That this group can have their own truth opposite to your truth. The next thing that church will begin to do is they'll fail to rightly define sin. And friends, sin is what God said it is, no matter what we change it to. And we've rightly or wrongly defined a lot of things. See, we no longer call sin what God calls it. God's Word calls sin lawlessness, rebellion, spiritual adultery, breaking my law, not keeping my commandments. But we now use words like a struggle. It's a disorder or a disease. We try to rename sin. See, today, my friend, drunkards are now alcoholics. 
sexual immorality people who practice that are now called promiscuous. People who lie are called politicians. <laughs> no, that was a joke. But now we, we equal, we refer to lying as distorting the facts. And we fact check it. And if your facts don't line up, oh, he gets five Pinocchios. I got news for you. Five Pinocchios is not anything compared to what God says about a liar. God said habitual liars aren't entering his kingdom. You see, fact check, whatever you want to do. God calls sin, sin. But we want to make it easier to deal with. Why? Because of the next one. We forsake absolute truth. What God said is right, we want to say is wrong. What God said is wrong, we want to say is right. Why? Because we want to believe truth is relative. That old Bible's outdated. That was good back in the days of Moses. But now we live in a different era, Brother Marvin. We've been enlightened with new truth. We have learned that truth is relative, that it can change. It's dependent on your circumstances. That where you are and where you came from has a lot to do with what you believe is true. And friends, listen to this. Thank God Christians still believe in absolute truth. Well, I wish that statement was true. But listen, a sad statistic that comes from the Barna Research Group tells us that according to his research, when he researched adults that proclaimed to be born again, only 44% of them say they believe in an absolute moral truth. Only 44% of American professing born-again Christians believe there is an absolute moral truth truth to go by it gets even worse he also discovered that only nine percent of born-again teenagers believe in the absolute moral truth they don't believe that the ten commandments are an absolute moral truth d.a carson says this now tolerance means that you must not say that anybody is wrong you have to say that all positions are equally if you want to disbelieve the Ten Commandments and you want to say they're invalid, we have to accept that or we're intolerant. That's exactly what's happening. So what does the church do? The church fails to take a stand for truth. Because if you take a stand for truth, you're going to be looked down on as ignorant, bigot, a racist, a hate monger. You're going to be told that you're not tolerant and you're not loving. And you're going to be put into a hate group. It's a means to get what you want. Get what they want you to do. Friends, I'm here to tell you, Jesus and His Word has never been popular, but it's always been right. And it'll always be right, no matter how unpopular it may be. Because the Word of God is the truth. This church was compromising so that they could fit in with the culture. We looked at compromise last week. I don't have to go over it again. We know that any church that compromises to the point that it does things that is blatantly in opposition to what Scripture has taught is a corrupted church. But we don't call them corrupted. They're just do things different than us. Friends, listen. When it gets to the point that we're allowing people in the church who live 
outside the boundaries of what God said is right and wrong, what God says is truth, and they do like Jezebel. Jezebel was teaching and she was seducing people to not only believe the untruth, but to live the untruth. And Jesus said, she's seducing my servants and you're allowing her, you're tolerating her to do it. Friends, when you let people stand in the Word of God teach, and they say it's okay to do stuff, friends, let me tell you something. I don't care what anybody else says. God is an upholder and a protector of the sanctity of all life. From the moment Him, by His ordained plan, conceives in the womb of a lady, a baby, if you let it run the natural course of God's will, it will result in a life. And I know abortion's a touchy thing. Pro-life is going to be a main issue in this election. But a person who wants to be a Christian who honors Jesus, who upholds His Word and His principles cannot be pro-choice. You must be pro-life. For God is pro-life. And friends, do you know the other ones we looked at? The homosexual agenda, my friend, is not an equal truth. It's not an alternative lifestyle. It's a sin that God disapproves of. And if you love one who is caught up in that sin, you'll do the same thing for him that you'll do for someone who's caught up in any other sin. You'll tell him the truth in hopes that he'll repent and turn and see the light and come to what God says is true. Not culture. Not society. When we die, we will not answer to American culture. We'll answer to Jesus. And friends, listen, we failed to take a stand for the truth. Guys, listen. Last week, if you were here, I took a drive and drove up on those pictures that I took. <laughs> well, God in His unbelievable sovereignty, yesterday at 1230, while I'm preparing the final outline for this sermon, I get a text from a brother, Christian friend of mine, who's in a, a, a state somewhere else. A lot of you know this guy. And I've been praying with him because his church is very liberal. And they're becoming more and more liberal, especially with the things we're having to stand for during this time in American political history. And he, he told me yesterday, this was at 1231, I just got through eating lunch, I'm sitting here working on this sermon. And I don't like preaching a sermon like this. <laughs> this ain't a sermon that makes you leave here saying, you high. But it's the sermon Jesus says that needs to be preached, I believe. But he says, hey, Pastor Marvin, I just want to let you know that in accordance with what you had prayed for me long ago, my wife and I are finally leaving our church. I am stepping down from being a deacon. It was a very hard process to navigate through. But the final straw came when I felt the Holy Spirit cautioning and convicting me under my pastor's leadership. But it was challenging because he never would fully come out and say what he believed from the pulpit. But I knew in my spirit something was off with his teaching. Long story start, when I finally talked to him yesterday, at one point he said, where does it say, Aaron, that you have to be pro-life to be saved? My heart dropped, man. That's when I knew that the Lord had told me 
had been confirmed out of his own mouth. Anyways, we are leaving there. God bless you, brother, for your help. I was thinking of how to respond to that. And I don't just text back. A lot of times I don't even answer your text when it's because I don't want to. John saying, yeah, that's true. I'll call you. Because you can write something you regret real quick. But I'm thinking about how do I respond to that? And he comes back. Yeah, basically, he won't call out the blatant evil of the liberal Democratic Party. And he exalts them to produce unity in the church to such a degree that he makes his flock think it's okay to vote for that. He calls it not judging our brother. I disagree. What do you think? Friends, how can you promote a party who blatantly supports abortion, blatantly supports same-sex marriage, who believes in all other types of things that are anti-God compared to the other one that is against those things? It's not about a person. It's about principles when we look at politics today. You've got to look past the person and you've got to look at the principles and what he promotes. So, friends, I want you to think about this. I said, amen, brother. I know it's a difficult decision to leave a fellowship where you have been there so long. You will never be content, though, as long as they are promoting such liberalism. God will lead you to a church that is standing on sound doctrine and is not ashamed nor fearful to stand up and proclaim the truth of God's holy word. I am very proud of y'all and your willingness to enter the narrow gate and follow Jesus down the difficult road of righteousness. We, the church, must, and I put it all uppercase, stand for Christ in His Word in these last and difficult days. Guys, it's here. It's happening. And no matter how much good we're doing, that Jesus said, nevertheless. So what did Jesus say? We got to stand for the truth, guys, and love people. We got to stand for the truth and serve people. We got to stand for the truth and keep the faith, or we're not keeping the faith. And friends, I want you to think about this. He gave them a word of admonishment, a correction. Listen to what he said. Now to you I say, and to the rest in Thyatira, he says, now to you, Who is you? I believe you is he who has ears to hear what the Spirit has to say. And the Spirit, if you notice, has something to say to every church. Every one of the churches, he says, to he who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The Spirit has nothing to say to anybody who doesn't believe God's truth is absolute, perfect truth. The minute you leave that book and believe that it's negotiable, That parts of it is true, but parts are not. The Spirit ain't got nothing to say to you. But guys, listen. Now to you I say, and to the rest in Thyatira, as many as do not have this doctrine, as many as don't give heed to the doctrine of Jezebel and her false teachings, who have not known the depths of Satan, he calls the things that she was seducing them to do that was coming from her compromised truth and her ungodly teaching, The depths of Satan. Guys, when you embrace ungodly, untrue teaching and you allow unsound doctrine to be the foundation, that's the depths of what Satan wants to do in your life. And listen to what he says. He said, I will put on you no other burden 
They already had a burden. So what did he tell them to do? Why did he tell them I'm not going to put any other burden on you? Because this is a heavy burden. Hold fast what you have till I come. What are we to hold fast to? Those of us who haven't bowed the knee to false doctrine Jezebel teaching. Who hasn't been seduced into being corrupted and living in ungodliness as an habitual way of life. What do we hold on to? Thus saith the Lord. Truth. We don't compromise. We don't back down. We don't shut up. We stand up for Jesus. And we say that's what the Word of God says. And I love you and He loves you. He died for you. The Gospel died because of truth. None of us could live the truth. But we must at least accept it. And friends, listen. Hold fast. Hang on. Don't let go to the truth till I come. Don't compromise. Don't get corrupted. Friends, today, many churches are going to be where we look at the church in the next message. They compromised to the point they became corrupted, to the point they grieved the Spirit, till they quenched the Spirit. In the next church, Jesus says, you think you're alive, but my judgment is that you're dead. Because you live a life that the Spirit of God cannot operate in. Friends, listen, if you're saved, you're saved. But you can do things that God, whatever God does is eternal. If he, His gifts are of non-repentance, He gives you a spiritual gift. You got that gift if you got saved. But you can live a life that keeps that gift from being anointed. That keeps that spiritual gift from being active in your life. If you grieve and quench the Spirit, He'll take that anointing. He still gave you that spiritual gift when He saved you but you'll be a carnal, dead Christian that's just living religion in church. And I fear sometimes that there are a lot of us in the church today that are just like Thyatira that has done just what they did. I believe we're in danger of doing the same thing, tolerating a bunch of ridiculous beliefs because like Thyatira, we're too scared or too loving to speak the truth. We are afraid we will lose our friends or we'll lose the argument and look dumb or feel stupid. So we sit idly by and we allow ignorance and even open heresy to infiltrate the church, much less the culture and the society in which we live. The church must remain doctrinally pure and we must remain as best we can pure in our faith and practice by practicing repentance when we're wrong. Listen, and let me show you one thing before we close. He gave her, Jezebel herself, opportunity to repent. But she chose not to. This morning, you have opportunity to repent. That's why you're here. He loves you that much. And listen what he says. He says in verse 21, And I gave her time to repent of her sexual immorality, and she did not repent. You know why she wouldn't repent? Because she was prideful and rebellious and she refused to submit to God's authority over her authority. And she taught what she wanted to teach to get what she wanted out of the church. And God said, because of that, I gave her the opportunity. I gave her the chance. I've already dealt with Jezebel. But she refuses to repent of her sexual morality. So listen to what he says. 
Indeed, I will cast her into a sick bed. Could it possibly be? God forbid, they're going to really hang me for this one. COVID. Does America deserve not to have COVID? I mean, what are we as a nation under what God says is true? Because you can say what you want, God allowed it. It didn't come from the devil unless God let him do it. So why is its purpose there? Well, he says right there that people like Jezebel who refuse to repent, who refuse to listen to truth and make up their own truth, which is what postmodernism is. He says, indeed, I will cast them into her sickbed, those who listen to her and those who commit adultery with her into great tribulation unless they repent of their deeds. And guys, I didn't say this, but I'm not telling you the truth if I don't read the next one. Verse 23 said, I will kill her children with death and all the churches then shall know that I am he who searches the hearts and the minds of the church. Why would Jesus do that? Because Jesus died for a church to be healthy. To be in a genuine, spirit-filled relationship with Him where it's anointed. I fear that some churches are so far gone and so dead that the Spirit's left long ago and they don't even know it. They don't even realize the difference. That's what Jesus is saying. He said, Brother Marvin, when are we going to get good news? Well, thank God next week we're going to take a break. Next week, we're going to have Baptism Sunday and we're going to preach salvation because I believe we need to hear the good news. Amen. But when we come back, we're going to look at the dead church, Church of Sardis. How did it get dead? It left its first love. It didn't want to suffer persecution. It wanted to be liked more than it wanted to be right with God. So it compromised. It became corrupted to the point it was dead. Guys, that's what Jesus is showing us. You can't embrace the lie and live out the lie and have all the life of God in you. We've got to repent as a nation, as communities, as the church, as families, as individuals. That's what Jesus is telling. Every church he condemned, he also offered them repentance. A time to come. Today we're going to stand, we're going to sing. I hope this has been an eye-opener to you because it sure has been to me. And I don't know about y'all, but if you go to the doctor, do you pick a doctor that will always tell you good news no matter how sick you are? Do you pick a doctor who's not going to hurt your feelings because he loves you? He's not going to let you know you got cancer because he don't want to see you go through the pain of knowing. But whether you know it or not, if you got cancer, it's bad days coming. Friends, if you allow the cancer of false doctrine to come into your compromised life to the point you embrace it and live it out and you begin to get corrupt, I promise you problems are coming. Trouble is on the way in your life. Because God loves you, He tells you this. He doesn't want us to be caught up in sexual immorality. He doesn't want us caught up in false worship of untrue gods. He wants us to be with Him so he can bless us, so we can count our blessings. Amen. Let's pray. Father, I said all I can say and need to say. Lord, I pray you'll use it now in the lives of these people. I thank you, Lord, that for the one who still stands for truth, Lord, that there's ears to hear, 
what you have to say to the church. So, Lord, speak into our lives and help us to obey. Grant us repentance today in Jesus' name. Amen.